Well, grace and peace to you, church, and happy birthday. We are going to read our birthday text this morning from Acts chapter 2, uh, when the Holy Spirit fell, bringing, creating uh, the church from the mixed bag, people of God, right? Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Here we go. When the Feast of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Without warning, there was a sound like a strong wind, a gale force. No one could tell where it came from. It filled the whole building. Then like wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread through their ranks, and they started speaking in a number of different languages as the Spirit prompted them. There were many Jews staying in Jerusalem just then, devout pilgrims from all over the world. When they heard the sound, they came on the run. Then when they heard one after the other, their own mother tongues being spoken, they were thunderstruck. They couldn't for the life of them figure out what was going on and kept saying, aren't these Galileans? How come we're hearing them talk in our various mother tongues? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, visitors from Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, immigrants from Rome with Jews and proselytes, even Cretans and Arabs. They're speaking our languages, describing God's mighty works. Their heads were spinning. They couldn't make any head or tail of any of it. They talked back and forth, confused. What's going on here? Others joked. They're drunk on cheap wine. That's when Peter stood up, backed by the other 11, and spoke out with bold urgency. Fellow Jews, all who are visiting Jerusalem, listen carefully and get this story straight. These people aren't drunk, as some of you suspect. They haven't had time to get drunk. It's only nine in the morning. This is what the prophet Joel announced would happen. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on every kind of people. Your sons will prophesy, also your daughters. Your young men will see visions. Your old men dream dreams. When the time comes, I'll pour out my spirit on those who serve me, men and women both. And they'll prophesy. I'll set wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billowing smoke, the sun turning black and the moon blood red before the day of the Lord arrives. The day tremendous and marvelous, and whoever calls out for help to me, God, will be saved. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. The birthday of the church. Well, growing up in my life, there were two high and holy days in my life. The first one being December 25th, obviously Christmas, every child, that is the best day of the year, right? And the second, any guesses? Uh, Yes, but you might think, because I was a preacher's kid, totally immersed in life of the church, that Easter, right? High holy day, no, 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 no. Preacher's kid, a part of two congregations that did these really extensive Easter dramas with that full-on, like, body paint. So we looked Middle Eastern, like, for real. This was my life growing up, painting myself to be brown, okay? And um, Easter was exhausting for me. So no, Easter was not my second high holy day. It was, in fact, August 8th, the day of my birth. And you chuckle, I know, you chuckle to yourself, uh, but you don't know, okay? You don't know how special birthdays were growing up in my house and in my family. My mom, hopefully you had a mom like this. My mom was one of those masterful moms that did everything she could to make sure that we felt celebrated on our birthday in every way, right? I'd wake up to balloons tied on my chair and from the chandelier, and I got to use the red special plate. Does anybody have a red special plate? Yes? No? Is it a thing here? Because it's a thing. Okay. You're just blue? Oh, okay. Uh, it says, you are special all the way around, okay? You are special, you're special. And I got to use it for all three meals, 
all right? And even if I had cereal, I would put my bowl on the plate like a giant saucer, okay? Because it was that special. And so my love language is gift giving, and so the presents were a big deal, and we would get to, I got to choose dinner. Like, it was so special. My mom would do whatever it took to make my birthday special, point in case, my 16th birthday. Uh, I wanted a surprise party. You can't really request those. But that was not going to stop me from requesting one, right? And so Tommy and I went with our youth group on a mission trip to Chicago. And uh, we came back, and my mom says, Stephanie, I'm sorry. We just we can't have a birthday. Like, we do them every other year. It's not your year. You, you can't have a party this year. I was crushed in my spirit. And yet, I had just been on this mission trip, right? Like, we had worked in this, like, filthy, creepy food pantry and worked with all these poor um, homeless people in Chicago. And so I couldn't very well throw a tantrum about not getting a party, right? But I did act super martyry about it. I was like, poor Stephanie. No party, no celebration of my life, right? And actually, um, my mom the entire time, of course, was planning the surprise party. And there was a picture. And there was a, and I was so excited. I was like, oh, yay, everyone look at me, yes. But then there was also a very cute boy at the party. You'll see in the next photo right there, Mr. Tommy himself. I know. He was so cute. I know. And to this day, I don't even remember what you got me. It was probably good, too. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, but to this day, as a grown woman, I think birthdays are very, very important. And I can get an amen from Haley Slaughter, who has her very own birthday tiara for herself. It is fantastic. And Tommy is always so annoyed uh, by my love for birthdays. But I think they matter. I think birthdays matter because I think it's important for us to remind each other and say, I'm glad you were born. I am glad that you exist. Your existence blesses my life. I am glad you are here and that we are living life together. And I think everybody should be celebrated like that once a year, right? Intentionally affirmed and loved and celebrated for existing, right? And maybe that's why I, as a pastor, love Pentecost so much. Because it is the birthday of the church. And I love the church. I can't help it. I'm glad it existed. It, it, it exists, and it blesses my life, and the church makes me who I am. And so I know the birthday metaphor of the church is imperfect because, you know, we already exist as individuals even before we're a part of the church, but somehow, through the gift of the Spirit, we, a bunch of random Jesus followers, are formed and shaped into something entirely new, the church. And so different, so profound is the change that the metaphor of birth is not too far-fetched. That's how deep the transformation goes. And so while I am not your mama, right, and I certainly did not birth you, I am your shepherd, or one of a set, as I like to say, salt and pepper, me being the spicy one. I am, I am grateful for you. I am glad you exist. You bless my life. And I think Pentecost and the formation of the church, when I think of that, I think of you. I think of this local particular expression of the body of Christ. Us, this random group of people brought together, not by common interest, surely not by shared sports teams, Becky, surely not by same hobbies or not by our same political affiliations, but by the gospel of Jesus Christ, drawn together and constituted by the Holy Spirit into the people of God. And on Pentecost, we celebrate. We celebrate that through the labor of God, we have been brought into existence as a people for a purpose, to embody the presence of God 
to the world. Well, there's the story of a little boy. He was right around, he was right around Jojo's age, about four. And you know, at that age, storms can be very, very scary. And so there was this huge thunderstorm and these big booming thunder booms, you know. And the little boy runs to his parents' bedroom and says, Mom, 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 I'm so scared. I want to sleep with you. And as a good mother says, oh, I'm so tired. No way. Um, <laughs> Son, God is with you. God is with you. Go back to your room and know that Jesus is right there with you. The little boy was disappointed. But he's like, oh, I guess I'll take Jesus. Okay. So he goes back to his room and lays in his bed. But man, 30 seconds later, boom. So he runs back to his parents' bedroom. I'm still scared. And she says, son, I told you God is with you. AKA, I'm so tired. Get out of my room, right? And the little boy said, Mom, I know, I know, but I just need somebody with skin on. <laughs> and that's the truth, isn't it? We need someone with skin on to show us the kingdom way of living, which is, of course, why Jesus came and dwelt among us. But in Acts, Jesus is no longer present in the flesh. He has ascended to the Father. And so it's us. Jesus' people, those filled with the Holy Spirit and constituted into the body of Christ, who are now the ones with skin on, who are the ones who are to embody God's presence to others, to be given for the world. Now, let's be honest here. It's not a glamorous plan here. No offense, guys, but I think we know this. Human beings are not glamorous creatures. We are fleshy, and we are kind of smelly, and uh, frankly, we're terminal, every single one, right? We are not a glamorous method for God to choose to bring about redemption and restoration in the world. We are messy and we are selfish and we are small-minded and we are petty and frankly, we're kind of fragile. I mean, one rogue cell gone awry and we're down with cancer, right? One harshly spoken word and our feelings are hurt. So we withdraw, we disengage. We are a fragile bunch, myself included. And yet... And yet, God has chosen the church. Are we surprised that God has chosen the church as his way of being in the world, this bunch of imperfect Jesus followers with skin on? But isn't it God's way of doing things? Kind of his MO, right? Taking the weak and the small, the broken and the humble, and doing something extraordinary. Taking the little bits and pieces that we offer and making them enough, exceedingly enough. And so too with the church. In Acts, God takes this group of frightened and confused and uncertain people, and he infuses them with his very own spirit, transforming them from a loosely group-bound uh, group of people who somehow seem to know that Jesus matters and what he did matters, but I really have no idea what's going on. And he transforms them into this powerhouse of proclamation, of transformation, of healing and radical inclusion, an earth-shattering, kingdom-embodying body the body of Christ. And so at Pentecost, God in the spirit constitutes a people, a church, and and releases them empowered by the spirit to engage in the mission of God in the world. God in the spirit constitutes a people. It's kind of a weird word. We don't use terribly often, but to constitute something is to make something out of nothing. And it's totally a God thing to do, is it not? Have you borne witness to God and his constituting power in your life. God making something out of your nothing. It's so like him. 
And scripture confirms that this is an essential part of God's being. Think all the way back to Genesis, right? At the very beginning, God makes something out of nothing, right? Order out of chaos. In the message, Eugene Peterson says it like this. He says, first this, God created the heavens and the earth. All you see and all you don't see, earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a bird over the watery abyss. Most translations describe that situation as chaos. Now, when I think of chaos, I all immediately think back to our time in Italy, and we would go to these like special festivals, and they were so crowded. You had no room to breathe, and these moms had these giant strollers, and they would just like ram you in the back of the legs. To get you. Like that was a perfectly appropriate method of getting through a crowd. It is not. My Achilles tendon will confirm that, right? And that is how I imagine chaos, like a raging sea of humanity. But the chaos in Genesis is of a different nature. It is no order at all. The atoms, the molecules spinning around, no order, no creation, no world set in motion. Chaos at its most basic level. And then the Spirit of God hovers over the waters, these chaotic waters of the deep. And I imagine as God declares, saying, let there be light, the Spirit whooshes forth like a mighty wind. And in that path of that mighty wind, light appears. And with another swoosh, light and darkness are separated and so on and so forth. And so the Spirit of God participates in the very first act of creation. In Psalms 104, we read it this morning. It said, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you made them all. The world is full of your creatures. And when you send forth your spirit, they are created. And they renew the face of the ground. God, through the spirit, makes something out of nothing. Makes order out of chaos. And then I think of Exodus. I think how God takes a bunch of slaves in the wilderness and sets them down in front of a mountain. And chaos and nothingness would probably be a great way to describe them because they are recently sprung free slaves with no knowledge of the world beyond the sand and tar pits of Egypt, no experience of the God of their fathers and mothers of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob other than those stories, but they've never experienced him. They have no idea what they are to be about in the world. And so I imagine in that wilderness, a very large, very unsettled, highly stressed, we have run out of s'mores and this is not fun anymore, camping trip. (laughs) But then in chapter 19, we see God move in this unprecedented way. It's going to change everything. We'll shake them to their core. God wants to speak to his people directly. And so they prepare as instructions, they cleanse themselves from the the dirt of Egypt, the dust of the desert. And And then this, starting in verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there was a thunder and lightning as well as a thick cloud on the mountain and a blast of a trumpet so loud that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln while the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses would speak and God would answer him in thunder. And then God spoke all these words. 
the Ten Commandments. It sounds about as crazy as creation itself, does it not? With the booming and the blowing and the fire and the noise. And, and like creation, God is making something. He is making something out of nothing. Although this time it's not light and plants and animals. God is making a people. A people set apart for himself. God speaks his word over them. This call to be his people. A covenant based not on their performance, but on God's faithfulness. And the people answer, all that you have spoken, God, we will do. And it reminds me of a marriage. You know how two people stand up here in front of God and everybody and promise to love, honor, and obey, and they, they enter into this covenant. And somehow, miraculously, mysteriously, the two become one, right? And so, too, at the foot of the mountain, Something miraculous has happened as this nothing of a people enters into covenant with God and becomes something. They become God's people set apart, chosen to embody God's way of living in the world. God takes the nothing and he makes it something. He takes the chaos and he breathes order into it for God's redemptive, restorative purposes. Now, this is all over scripture. God's mighty acts of making something out of nothing, out of restoring order where chaos reigned. Think of Ezekiel. You know that creepy story where he goes into the valley and it's full of dry bones? And God says to him, oh mortal, can these bones live? And he says, oh God, only you know they look pretty dry to me. And yet the spirit blows and the bones come together and the tendons and the muscles and the skin covers them. And the spirit blows again and life enters the bodies once more and they live. And God speaking as a metaphor saying, this is what I will do for Israel. I will make something out of nothing. I will bring order out of chaos. Or think of Ruth, dead husband, dead brother-in-law, dead father, poor beyond measure in a land not her own. The chaos and the nothingness in her life is palpable. And then, and then, God acts, leading Ruth to Boaz, her kinsman redeemer, who will serve as an instrument of God's restoration of Ruth's life. And when God restores, God goes big, doesn't he? Ruth isn't saved just a little bit. Ruth is saved to the uttermost. She marries Boaz, and they have a son, Obed, who gives birth to Jesse, who gives birth to David, who is an ancestor of King Jesus. In Ruth's life, God, through the Spirit, makes something out of nothing. He brings order to the chaos. Or you think of Hannah, barren Hannah, longing for a child, praying for a child, weeping hysterically on the temple steps for a child. And Eli comes to her and said, what is going on? You need to stop drinking. And she said, oh, no, my heart is just broken. And he says, go home. God has heard your prayer, and lo and behold, Hannah is with child. Samuel is born and anoints the beloved King David. Something out of nothing for God's good purposes. God, through the Spirit, makes something out of nothing. He brings order to our chaos. It's just who God is. And so it's fitting it is fitting that as the Jews gather in Jerusalem for Pentecost to celebrate that great creation act at Mount Sinai when God made them a people through the gift of the law, 
when he made them a people through that sacred covenant between God and God's people, God acts in a new creation way again. God sends his spirit to once again make something out of nothing to make order out of chaos. And so when that fire descends upon those timid and uncertain, hopeful but terrified group of Jesus followers gathered together, God's spirit, his creation power is unleashed, making something entirely new, a people set apart for God's redemptive mission in the world of the church. A while back, a bunch of us ladies went to see Beauty and the Beast, the new one, right? And I think all of us millennials have a real special soft spot for Beauty and the Beast because when I was a kid, that was like the Disney movie, right? Belle is the penultimate Disney princess, right? But I didn't take JoJo to this version because I don't know if you've seen the signs of the promos, but the Beast in this version is terrifying, like horrific. He has like devil horns and these enormous clawed like paw things. It's really unsettling, frankly. And so if you're familiar with the story, you know that in the end, the beast finally learns to love and he is transformed back into a human. But he is a human transformed by his experience with his new heart now able to love. And so this transformation scene is amazing in the movie. Like the beast gets picked up by this aura of light and he's like spun around and there's like glitter and sparkles as only the movies can do, right? And the claws are retracted. The fur melts away. The, the horns vanish and a man emerges again. But he is something, someone entirely new. No longer is he that isolated, self-serving, self-indulgent, arrogant prince that he once was. He has been transformed by love, love given and love received. And his future that was once marked by chaotic disorder and nothingness has been changed into a future of hope and order, love and redemption. And in some ways, that's how I imagine Pentecost. The fire like swooping down and maybe some sparkles in there too, right? The loud whooshing of the spirit as he fills the place, blowing away the fear, blowing away the self-protection that had them hold up together in the first place, blowing away their doubts and their uncertainty and replacing it with courage and hope, with an unshakable trust in the gospel of Jesus, and then blowing them out into the streets to proclaim the good news, that God in Jesus has acted to reverse the chaos in fallen creation, to fill the nothingness with everything, the presence of God, to restore and redeem all of creation through the faithful obedience of this newly formed people, the church. What a birthday party. What a magnificent story of God's new creation power at work. A story of God through the Spirit making something out of nothing, making order out of chaos. And so here we sit, the fruits of that Pentecost so long ago. Here we sit, remembering and celebrating our birth, our formation as a people, a people transformed by the giving of the Spirit, a people marked not by nothingness, not by chaos, but by fullness, by fullness overflowing and by order. And when I say order, I don't mean like all your ducks in a row, because frankly, sometimes my ducks are in different ponds, right? 
But when I talk about order, I mean being on mission, being on purpose, intentionally participating in God's right-wising of all of creation by giving our lives away so people can know Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit literally blew that newly formed people out into the streets, and they understood that they, the church, were now the presence of God in the world for the world. It's unsettling. It should be unsettling. Uh, One of my favorite preachers, Barbara Brown Taylor, she says it like this. She says, at Pentecost, Jesus' disciples received the dubious good news that their bodies were about to take the place of Jesus' body in the world. Dubious indeed. Questionable. Suspect even. Because why would God do such a thing? And this dubious, unsettling good news hasn't changed. Our bodies... Our body has taken the place of Jesus' body on earth. And that's scary. That's a weight, is it not? But there is no need to be afraid. No need to be afraid because we are but flesh prone to sin and failure. Because, as Paul reminds us, you are not in the flesh You are in the Spirit, because the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit that dwells in you you. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, dwells in us, the church. So let's live like it, shall we? Let's embrace this spirit-filled life. Let's give ourselves over to the wind of the spirit and let it blow us where the spirit will, into the streets, into our city, like we're going to do this week for VBS, into our schools like Bennett, into the homes of our neighbors and friends like we're going to do this fall with a We Heart Mountain home, into the bars, oh, I said it, into the slums and the dark corners of our community that cry out for order instead of chaos, who long for something to replace the nothing. And so we hear these words as the band comes. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Let us respond. Oftentimes when we think of the Holy Spirit, we think of a dove, right? A dove is a reminder of the spirit as it descended on Jesus at his baptism. But in the story that we had today, the spirit isn't very dove-like, is it? It's wild and blowy and uncontrollable and whipping. And the ancient Celts used to describe the spirit not as a dove, but as a wild goose. They described their pursuit of following the spirit as chasing 
the wild goose, a wild, unpredictable, sometimes frustrating and seemingly pointless endeavor because we're not in control. We don't set the agenda, the spirit, the wild goose does. And so, beloved, on our birthday, let us not domesticate the dove. Instead, let us give ourselves over to chasing the wild goose. May it be so. Beloved, extend your hands to receive the benediction. Beloved, happy birthday. Let's live the life that we were made for, chasing the wild goose, the spirit of God, and live into our calling to be the presence of God in the world for the world. Go in action and go in peace. You are dismissed. Amen.